0: our study of Acts, and so far, let me recap where we've been. We've had this promise of power right at the very beginning. Jesus, as he drew his disciples and his followers together before he ascended into heaven, he gave this promise. He said this, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. A powerful what? You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. In the very beginning of Acts, we're given a promise that power is going to come for a purpose so that we could be his witnesses, we can be his emissaries of the gospel to the ends of the globe. After a few days, the disciples were waiting, and after a number of days, the promise of power came. If you remember, the presence of God came in the form of a pillar of fire Similar to how he guided the people at night as they walked through the desert. A fire seems to always be something that God uses to magnify his presence. And there is this pillar of fire and then suddenly it explodes into 120 equal pieces. Landing on each believer, equally signifying to one another that they are all empowered to be a part of this ministry. They're all witnesses. After that, Peter gave a sermon, one of his many sermons that he will grow to be famous for. He gives a sermon helping the people of Jerusalem understand that this has been God's plan throughout the Old Testament and now heading into this new area, that this has been the plan of God and has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And as he finished this sermon... Last week, we were reminded that people were convicted. And that conviction, it's not a result of Peter's sermon. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit that God used that sermon from Peter to convict these hearts. And 3,000 people, 3,000 people believed and were baptized on that day. And the birth of the movement of God occurred. If you're like me, we read that verse and we see how people were devoted together. They were unified, there was power, there was purpose. I mean, there was sharing together. Churches weren't divided like they were now. Like everything seemed to be moving and I I feel it in my heart. Maybe he was like, man, I wish that we were back then. Because the church worked back then. We're left with questions. What happened to the church now? I mean, if that was the birth of the movement, there was power, there was conviction, there was repentance, there was unity, there was devotion. Like, what did they have back then? And maybe we lack today. Because I don't think it's they lack spirit. I don't think we lack it. It's the same power of God, the same Holy Spirit. Here's my thought. Perhaps people today don't know what they're empowered to do. Perhaps Christians today don't understand what they're empowered to do like Christians back then. See, I believe this next passage helps readers back then and readers today recognize But the power of God and the movement, the power of God in his movement of the church, it wasn't just a one-hit wonder. It wasn't just one day, one opportunity. I mean, the power of God gave opportunity to all of God's people to be a reflection of his glory. Let me show you. If you have your Bibles, you will join me in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And my hope today is to give you two things that every Christian's empowered to do. Every Christian, back then and today, every Christian's empowered have this opportunity. It begins this way, chapter 3, verse 1. again, my Bible begins with that word now. Just like last week, now in the Greek language, it's a continuative conjunction that links the passage before it with the passage after it. Meaning this isn't a new work of God. This is not like a sequel to God. This is a continuation. Like within the context of the birth of the church, 3,000 souls living in devotion together, this happened in that same context. Now at that same time, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. The hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along. And they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. Interesting note, by the way, after all of those years of Jesus' ministry, there are still sick people, there are still broken people. I mean, I think for some reason we think, man, if Jesus walked our community now, there'd be no more brokenness. There'd be no more illness. There'd be no COVID. There'd be no monkey pox. There would be nothing. Here's the reality. I mean, Jesus transformed lives, but we still live in a broken world. And disciples back then still found themselves ministering in the midst of brokenness. Case in point, there's a man who'd been lame from his mother's womb. He was born this way. A lot of people would assume it would be because of some sin in the mom or the dad's life. That this child was judged because of sin. He'd been lame from birth and so he's being carried along. He's completely helpless, powerless to care for himself. And so they'd set him down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. I mean, this man made his living begging. I just want to tell you, I don't think that's anything anyone wants to do. But if you're forced to be in this position to beg, there's no better place. And go to the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Historians describe this gate as one of the most ornate and grand at the time. It's described as being 75 feet tall, 60 feet wide, and it took 20 men to open and close it. It was adorned with large golden plates was the gate preferred by the rich and prominent people of the culture and usually the most crowded gate as a result. It was the perfect place to get dropped off for an hour or two to beg. That's where the famous, that's where the powerful, that's where the rich would go. So his family dropped him off. That's where we pick up the story, continue to go. Well, the first question that came to my mind, yeah, it's where a lot of people would go to that gate called beautiful. And let me think this week. I wonder where our culture goes in need of help. You ever think about that? Like when the hopeless of that time, when they found themselves hopeless and needing help, they went to the temple. How about our culture? How about you? When your kids are lost, where do you go when your marriage is broken where do you go when you look down the future you see nothing but fear and worry about culture where do you go Here's another question what do you say when one of your unchurch, unsafe friends comes to you with a question their children are lost their marriage has exploded they look at their culture, and they just want to leave. What do you say? I want to show you what Peter and John said. They walk into the temple. They're going through this gate called Beautiful, verse 3. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And then we went into a section with a number of big biblical butts Because something happens that we don't expect. See, everyone's expecting that Peter and John do one of two things as they go into the temple. Either they ignore this man or they drop something in his cup. I mean, giving money, that's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? It appeases our conscience. It's pretty easy for us to do. I think so often we put different expectations on people of the Bible time. Somehow they're better than us. No, I think they're just very similar to us. So you people expect that you're either going to don't make contact, don't look, don't look, or you put something in the plate. But look, this is different, verse 4. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So most people would have their head down like this and their um, arms up. They don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. They just want, they just need something. Peter and John come up to him and say, hey, 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 look up here. They acknowledge him personally. They address him directly. Man, that's countercultural right there. Hey, look at us. And this guy's expecting, right? He's expecting something great. I'm here at the rich gate. And these guys want their attention. These guys want to be recognized. Hey, I'm expecting this to be something great if you want to be recognized about what I'm going to give you. But again, here's the next biblical but right there. Just in here expecting, everyone's reading this for the first time, expecting Peter and John to give him some amazing allotment of money. Listen to what he says. Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold. And at that, you can just see the countenance of this man just drop, right? Please, sir, I need help. Hey, look up here. Sorry, I don't have any money. The, kid, the, the young man's probably like, well, then what are we doing here? What do you have to offer me? If you don't have silver and gold, I mean, that's all I need. If I would just have a little more money, my life would be peaceful. Everyone think that? All I need is a smaller mortgage. All I need is a lower rent. All I need is a better car. All I need is a better paying job. All I need is just a little bit of a raise and all my problems will go away. Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, Walk. I I don't have anything the world offers. I don't have power. I don't have fame. I don't have control of Congress. I don't have opportunities to give endless wealth. I have one thing. The power of God. Walk. What we expect is to see a man stand up and take a step, that's not what Peter is calling him to do. It's a word that describes a new and restored life, complete mobility. That was essential for that time. Being lame and crippled and dependent on others was a sentence to a difficult and lonely life. Peter's command was more than just to take a step. It was to walk, to a completely different and restored life. Look what happens, verse 7. Seizing him by the hand, he raised him up, and immediately, without hesitation, right away, his feet and his ankles were strengthened. That term strengthened, he was fully and completely restored. They were strengthened. Look how it describes it, how restored. With a leap, he stood right up, began to walk, entered into the temple with Peter and John, Right? All the good God fearing people walking in as we do to church, maybe grabbing a cup of coffee, maybe a donut on the way. Walking in and are normally calm. Nature. This guy enters into the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. I mean, he's jumping high like he's going to dunk on someone. Praising God, celebrating out loud what God had done in his life. I mean, this is what happened. And the text puts us all within that context of that birth of the movement of God where roughly 3,000 people were devoted together. In that same time, it's not just something that happened in that room. It was spilling out. They interact with this broken man They don't have what he thinks he needs. But they do have what they know he needs. He goes into the temple. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. You couldn't miss him. He's the only one jumping in church. He's the only one. Everyone saw him. Walking, praising God. They were taking note of him. That phrase, taking note—that's Bible talk. They were all whispering about him. Psst, isn't that the lame guy out the gate? Psst, wasn't that that guy that had his head down? And wasn't that that guy? Everyone taking note. Everyone was whispering about him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. What happened? The term wonder means they were astonished and rendered immovable and speechless. Amazement, biblical term to describe that their minds were blown. See, I think people just expected that when Jesus left, all the crazy miraculous stuff left too. And then they were faced with the reality of what Jesus promised, that these followers of God, these disciples would do far more amazing things than even he. I think there's something I believe for a long time that uh, Christians are empowered to restore the broken. First statement, I hope you leave today believing Christians are empowered to restore the broken. And going through my life, I... I think that was something theologically I believed, but practically I dismissed. Yeah, hey, I'm filled with the same Holy Spirit and God has called us, right? Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Look at what he said to his disciples. He said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine them before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Man, you, you're empowered to make an impact. And theologically, I understood that in my head, but practically, I begin to think well, I mean, let's be honest. Peter and John, they're gifted miraculously in ways that we aren't. Agreed? When I'm not able to go to someone and say, Get up and walk. Man, I wish I could. I wish I could go to people in our church now or in the hospital and just proclaim them healed. That's not mine to give. Silver and gold, I don't have for you. Healing and miracles. I can't promise that. But I can give you what I have. It was years ago, I was in the midst of a medical thing with one of my kids. A lot of you walked with us through that. I mean, it had been years where we'd go to specialists and hear the same words, we can't help you. They took my money, but they couldn't help. And I was watching my kid waste away and fall farther and farther behind. Then I was introduced to the specialty team at Chalk Children's Hospital, Orange County. And they asked us to come in and demonstrate the concerns. And so we did that. And we went into a room and I was expecting to hear the same thing I had heard for years. We can't help you. But then Dr. Katz, I'll remember this man's name forever, says, we can help you. I just broke. I responded, I said, our insurance is, I guess before the, that was during a time of lifetime maximums, right? And so like our insurance is done I'm buried in debt because of medical things. I have no money. I have no insurance. And Dr. Katz says, no, no, you don't understand. You're part of the family now. We'll take care of it. And I wanna tell you, um, I'm not spiritual enough where I feel like I hear God's voice all the time. That's why I love having an elder board to help me discern what God's doing. But I wanna tell you this, and it wasn't audible, but it was clear in my heart. Where God said, if if this non-Christian man could have this much impact on your life, how much of an impact hundreds of people filled with the very power of God can have on our culture. See, I don't think I'm the only broken person in the Chino Valley. I don't think my family's. I don't think that our family is the only one who's been told we can't help you, we can't help you, we can't help you, we can't help you. I don't think we're the only family that was in a moment of hopelessness and despair. And I think we live in a culture where they don't know where to go. There's no gate called beautiful. All they have is you. At that moment with Dr. Katz, where I felt like God opened my eyes, my view of ministry changed. From that point on, there is no marriage too broken for God to heal. From that point on, there is no child too lost for God to reach. From that point on, there is no culture too broken that the church can't make an influence in. From that point on. I think as Christians, we theologically have this understanding that when God is for us, who can be against us? In our head, we have this theological understanding that the church can become this movement where the gates of hell can't prevail against it. But when we come face to face with someone who's broken, we're powerless. So there's my question for you. I guess I have two. If you come here and you're broken, you're like, Brian, that's why we're here. We, I don't know what to do. I hope you don't leave without giving us an opportunity to minister to you. I can't promise you healing. I wish I could. I can't promise to make the pain go away. I wish I could. I personally do not have a ton of money Believe me, I wish I did. But what I have, I can offer to you. A peace that's beyond human comprehension as you place your cares on the throne of God. A joy that's overflowing when you're content in recognizing the position you have with God. A contentment in life knowing that God will give you what you need to get you through to the next day. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Brian, I already know all that. And our question is, who, who's a broken person God's put in your life that you've walked by? Broken person that God has put in your life. Do you felt powerless to intervene? I think it's time. First thing church recognizes, at least our church, Christians are empowered to restore broken people. We're empowered to do it. It's not our strength, not our power. It's the Holy Spirit at work within us. That's what we're called and empowered to do. But the story's not done because I think it leads directly into the second thing we're empowered to do. Christians today are just not empowered to restore broken people, to look them in the eyes, to recognize them, to stop walking by them, stop pretending that we don't see what we see. We're empowered to restore broken people. But number two, we're empowered to proclaim the truth, and I am trying to be nice, but I think we're actually required, expected to proclaim the truth. Christians and the church were the only institution in culture with that mandate. Let me show you what happened after this, and everyone's filled with wonder in amazement, everyone's wondering what's going on, surprised by the power of God to restore brokenness. Verse 11, while he, the man who was restored, was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called, so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Another big biblical but right there, verse 12. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why are you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we've made this man walk? Why are you all surprised? We're in charge for crying out loud. We're in the temple of God, that's why we're here. To interact with the God who created all things. Why do you think I did something? Verse 13, the power, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Verse 14, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life. Peter looks at all those fears and says, what are you surprised about? You're walking around like dead men. Whitewashed sepulchres. Fancy on the outside, dead in the inside. Paul says, you want to know the problem, or Peter, sorry. Peter says, you want to know the problem. Here's the first truth. The Christians are empowered to proclaim the truth of man's failure. Peter just goes right into it. You want to know what's wrong? Y'all traded in the righteous champion of God for some man-made answer. It's the same thing that Jesus wrote to the church of Rome years later. Look what Paul wrote, Romans 1. What he said, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity." and that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And Peter looks at good people right there in the middle of the temple. And he proclaims the truth as only Christians can. Here's the problem. Mankind has given up desiring their creator out of a hunger for control of their own life. We didn't stop there. He kept going. But then he went into the truth, not just of, of man's failure, but of God's power. He said, you put to death the prince of life in the middle of verse 15, the one whom God raised from the dead a fact to which we are witnesses, and on the basis of faith in his, in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, that has restored this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. Peter says, listen, we didn't heal this man. I suspect at some other point, Peter would say, "Let me tell you about my broken life. Let me tell you about where Jesus strengthened me." I lived a life buried in fear. And it took me three years to learn to be able to trust in Jesus. Peter says, "Let me tell you about the truth of God's power. He saved this man. Peter will attest he saved him and he can save you. I love that term. Again, he used strengthen, the same word used to describe what happened to that lame man, the term strengthened, fully restored. And let me be wondering this week, where do I need to be strengthened? I mean, nothing... I think, withholds the power of God at work in culture than a bunch of Christian people proclaiming God's power and living none of it. Where do you need to be strengthened? Maybe it is in your marriage. Maybe it is in your faith. Maybe it is in your humility before God. Where do you need to be strengthened? Because let me remind you of something the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends in Philippi. He said this, Philippians 4. Look, look how Paul describes himself. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Where do you need strength? I tell you, if we're going to be proclaiming the truth of God's power, we need to be exemplifying the reality of God's power. Where do you need to be strengthened? Third truth, Peter showed the truth of man's failure, the truth of God's power, then he proclaimed the truth of God's salvation. He says, and now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled Verse 19, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter proclaims to everyone out here, man, you jealous of what this man has? Repent and return. Remember from last week. Repentance involves both an acknowledgement of one's failure and a realignment of one's future. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, that's not repentance. That's half-hearted apology. Repentance is acknowledging your failure and realigning your future as a result. Peter says, repent and return, make a change of life. And look what comes. A time of refreshing, a season of relief, a time for recovery, a period of revival. Man, I got to tell you, I think this needs to be the proclamation of every Christian and culture. I mean, Peter is proclaiming the truth. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for Sunday sermons. This is a foundational element of the gospel of Christ. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order for times of refreshing. As a reminder of what Jesus said. Jesus said the same thing. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Truth of God's salvation, let's jump to the last verse. Last thing that Peter proclaims that we can proclaim too. The truth of our opportunity, verse 26. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning away everyone, turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And it's God's desire that no man perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him can have everlasting life. Peter finishes the sermon and says, listen, silver and gold I don't have. I wish I could take away pain. I wish I could take away suffering. I wish I could take away fear. I wish I could take away disease. I can't. But as Christians, we need to get beyond that and recognize we have something even more valuable. We have reconciliation with God. If you're here today, you're like, Brian, I, I don't have that. In just a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can take care of that today. But I suspect many of you here said, "Brian, I already have reconciliation with God." And I want to leave you with this final verse. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He said, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, not as yourselves; it's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no, no one may boast." He says we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I firmly believe one of the things lacking in our church, our culture church, the church of the West. The Apostle Paul says we have the same Lord, same baptism, same hope, same calling, same spirit. Perhaps there's one thing that they had that we didn't belief in what we're empowered to do. So I want to hereby empower you in the name of God and the power of His Spirit to restore the broken. One person. Man, we all can't serve everybody. I get it. One person one broken person that God has put in your life, you can come alongside, restore them to God, and bring renewed life into theirs. And number two, proclaim truth. No one else in culture can do it as expected by God to do it. We need to start proclaiming truth. And personally, well I won't get into that, but we need to confidently proclaim the truth of God. Paul would say, it "This way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God. It's the power of God for all who believe. To the Jew first, also to the Gentile. And it shared and experienced life to life, faith to faith. Who can you bring restoration to this week? Let's pray. God is the church. We're here. God, if we're honest, we recognize. We need you. We need you in our homes. We need you in our churches. God, we need you in the Chino Valley. (laughs) Everyone knows we need you in our state. God, we acknowledge our need for you, but God, sometimes we forget who you have empowered us to be. So God, I pray for every Christian here, for every person who's entrusted their life to you. God, may you open their eyes and allow them to see themselves as you do. Broken and restored and empowered to be a reflection of your power and your glory. God, I pray you give them one name. One name that they assumed they were powerless to help. God, one purpose that they have been walking by, haven't even been noticing until now you bring them to their mind. One person that each of us can bring to your throne, to your power. God, that your mercy might transform their heart. Your spirit may transform their life. God, your truth may renew their marriage, their home, our culture. God, open our eyes and we might see you as you see us. And God, I pray for boldness, for our church. God, that just proclaiming truth truth. Without love, God, we're just an annoyance and a hindrance. So, God, may you empower us, give us boldness and strength, to proclaim your truth, but, God, that we would wrap it in your love and your mercy. God, may we walk that intersection of grace and truth as you do. May you equip us and train us and empower us to be balanced in proclaiming who you are God, balanced with who you, how you allow us to come to you. God, I pray if there's people here, God, who are broken, people here who are just desperate for you to intervene in their lives, in their hearts, in their soul, God, I pray that you would do it today. Father, as they repent to you, acknowledge their failure, and change their direction. I pray you hear it as you've promised, and that you would respond as you said you would. You'd forgive them of their failures, cleanse them of all unrighteousness, set them on a path of righteousness And use them for your glory. God, may you continue this week to remind us of who you are and who we're to be a reflection of. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.